the why of product management. I had a career, have had a career working in really large organizations that are matrixed, that have a command and control hierarchy. And it can be really tough to get stuff done <clears throat> because you're removed from the customers, from the problem statement, um, and have not one, not two, you might have a half dozen, if not more, different stakeholders. And each one represents their own tribe of people. Uh, and you have to convince all of them to get on board. And it can take a lot out of people to be that persuasive to, um, and so, so your message doesn't attenuate. So you have a strong point of view or perspective and you want to convince and persuade not just one person, but this team of people that reports to that person for why your idea is the good idea and why they should essentially drop what they're doing right now and do what you say, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and the act of trying to persuade large groups of people can, especially, and this I think happened um, to a lot of people in during the pandemic, um, you experience burnout because you don't, right. you might have clarity on why something is important, but the act of trying to convince large groups of people why right. it's important, um, you end up, you know, reducing your own internal, you know, mental strength, physical strength um, to try to get to that persuasive point. Um, and uh, so I started thinking, I had the opportunity to think more deeply around what's the purpose? Why are we trying to do this? How do we go about communicating and collaborating um, across large teams and also kind of deep dive back into the history of product management and how it developed as a function inside, inside, you know, venture capital backed startups, that entire ecosystem, the language and cultural mental models that kind of got, grew out of it and got adapted into large corporates, which are you talking about large companies. You're talking about your experience at like American Express, JP, JP Morgan, Accenture, and AIG, those style of companies, correct? Companies that have more, and I think I've, I've actually, so yes, those are all examples of really large corporates. Those are all examples of- That's a lot of minds to move. It's also, those are, for, that's, that's a Fortune 100, Fortune 500 kind of uh, mindset is when you have essentially thousands of employees. Um, and yes, it is a lot of minds to move. Um, and each one, and each one of those is built up of various tribes and, and factions. So what, what level of company entry level, um, you know, is, is this conversation today going to be relevant to? So I think it's relevant to, I think it's relevant to anybody that is trying to change minds in any company of more than a thousand people. Um, more than a thousand people. Do so you think that less than a thousand? Um, not, not as, not as critical. It is not a no. I'm not going to say it's not as critical. <laughs> um, I think that because of this, the size and scale of the organization, most companies in the United States are most all small businesses, which is the backbone of the American economy, is less than 200 employees. And so when you get above a thousand on the scale of human coordination, you're huge. And so anything above a thousand employees you're beyond, beyond more than 150 people is, is how many names and faces that we, from an evolutionary perspective, is the Dunbar number of the number of people that we can keep in contact with and mm -hmm. maintain sanity, essentially. So when you're above a thousand people, 
you're already beyond your, your orders of magnitude beyond the Dunbar number of the number of names and faces in the organization that you actually keep in contact with. Hmm. And so you're realistically only talking to maximum, probably 150 people, but your organization is much larger than that. And so being able to deep dive or what I call like spearfish into your organization and contact people who or and be able to, you know, Vulcan mind meld with somebody who is fingers on keyboard or knows the customer or knows the problem statement. They're a subject matter expert in that specific space and being able to specifically go to that person because that person's boss or that person's boss's boss, or that person's boss's boss's boss is orders of or is, is layers removed from the actual expertise or the problem or the knowledge space. And so they're getting information filtered up to them or down mm -hmm. to them, depending on how you view the org chart or org tree. Sure. And so, uh, prepositions, I mean, really who, who cares? No, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, so something that's come I get you. very, I've, I've realized that there's something that's I'm going to point you in a new direction. So sure. the, the smaller companies, you know, anybody who's got less than 200 employees, um, is this like an ultra secret sauce that that they really need to be preparing for now? Or again, is it is, you know, and are we going to dive into that today? Or um, is this going to be more for those who are at the thousand person level? I think, well, so if you're less than a thousand people and you want to grow, I think it's extremely important to be prepared yourself, you know, emotionally. And then the people that you bring mm -hmm. into the organization for because it's it's a lot it's a lot more involved and takes more effort to course correct people's mental models and your culture after yep. they've already been brought in and after you already at that right. size than it is to take to to address that challenge earlier on. It's, it takes if less you effort. Establish the culture in one direction, then getting everybody who's already bought into that culture shifted to a new one can be a catastrophe. I've I've been there many times <laughs> in startups. Um, so no, you're you're absolutely right on that. So what's the what's the biggest secret? I think. Um, All right, welcome in to Vision Pros Live with Jackson Callum. I'm your show host. We will be doing interviews for visionary entrepreneurs and guest leaders who are building fantastic visions out there. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Vision Pros Live. I'm your show host, Jackson Callum, founder and CEO of First Class Business. I'm excited to be discussing company growth and cultures and being able to dive into your, your virtues ruthlessly as a leader um, and, and lead people. And, you know, and really, I would say our world has become quite the fragile world. Um, when it comes to dealing with individuals and conflict and all that. So Sam style and his background and what he's been able to do with massive companies, I know it applies tremendously to the startup world. Um, we were just talking right before the, the intro about how if, if you establish a certain type of culture around dozens of human beings, you know, while you're small, when the day comes where you have to shift to an entire new mentality of growth, it can be very jarring and disrupting. It can it can cause great organizations to crumble. Uh, there are so many organizations that do not um, know how to survive 
the levels of skill and growth. And if you've ever heard of, if you haven't heard of the seven figure desert, um, there's a reason why some uh, coaches out there call it just that. It is not easy to grow and scale uh, no matter what stage of business you are at. Um, so before we dive in with Sam, I always want to give a shout out to our sponsors. Uh, Cold Click is what we use for our LinkedIn automation. Uh, highly recommend the software. I also recommend making sure that your messaging is on point um, as you go into using a tool like this. Now, I wanted to say before you go into it, that's often not possible. What we need to do is make sure that we're paying attention to how our audience responds to our messaging. And there's what's called lead indicators that help us understand, is our messaging attracting people in the right way, um, with the right emotion, with the right level of excitement? You can actually over-attract people um, in the beginning too. Hello, clickbait, for instance. So make sure that you're getting great advice um, and, and consulting with with uh, the right marketing companies as you get ready to use such a tool. Um, but also don't let that hold you back from getting in front of more people. Um, if, you're, if you've got a vision, you need to get other people involved in your vision in order to be able to move it forward. It's likely not something you'll do by yourself. Um, then there's Simply Fast websites. Um, and that's somebody who <clears throat> whose vision caught my attention. I wish I had found something like Shane years and years ago when I was starting my website. So uh, I actually don't know how good he is at what he does, um, but what I do know is that if I had found him when I was in the beginning of launching my website, I probably would have paid him right away and said, okay, 179 bucks, go ahead and launch my website. Let me know what forms you need. And I would have just gone forward with that because when you're getting started, it's so easy to get distracted because you have a million things that you need to do. And the website, it's not the most important one, no matter what people tell you or, or make you want to think about what you should be doing. You do need to get a website launched. And then from there, you need to focus on producing profitable results, not getting busy. Busy is broke. Production is profitable. All right. Last tip for the day on those matters. Now let's go to the water project. The water project, uh, many of us uh, just celebrated Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. I hope you at least take the opportunity to, to say thank you to people in your lives, even if you don't celebrate it. Um, in this case, I am grateful for the water that I have access to, and I would really, really appreciate it if you would spread the word for the water project or perhaps uh, a different cause of your choice. The reason why I like the water project is because I can see the people whose lives I'm affecting thanks to the way that they manage these campaigns. So I can choose which community I give back to. And then I can see them either build the sand dam or the borehole well, um, as, as they're called respectively, for the different communities that they're, they're serving. And then it also makes it really easy to imagine the types of effect that um, whatever I gave is going to provide to the generations that are coming after these individuals. Um, we have the opportunity to help millions, um, if not billions of people in the world. This is one of my, uh, my core causes of choice to support. So if you have the opportunity to share it, please do so. If you have the opportunity to give back, uh, then, then don't hesitate to go in there and, and make your contribution. And, and we appreciate you all. Um, so with that said, let me pull up uh, Sam's background a little bit before I bring him on stage. Um, he is from San Diego, California, which I call paradise. I'm a huge fan um, of that area of the world. Um, if you haven't been, definitely go check out La Jolla sometime. Um, and, and George's, uh, I think it's called George's. There's a restaurant right there over the, over the bay that is absolutely amazing. Um, anyway, enough plugs for today. Um, 15 plus years of experience in product strategy and execution um, and helping companies, you know, uh, like 
American Express and JP Morgan and Accenture. Uh, his background is extensive. We became friends quite quickly. And also having studied in Mexico City uh, means that we get to connect on, on my personal project a little bit for Oportunidades de Trabajo para Latinos. So we'll have some fun with that, perhaps not on this show, um, but I bet you'll see Sam and I do several things together over the years to come. The reason why I, again, wanted to bring him onto this show is because I know that companies that are struggling with articulating their vision and struggling to establish great cultures are, in essence, not doomed to failure, uh, you know, but it, it's pretty close. Uh, the success rates aren't high, my friends. So let's bring Sam on, let's pick his brain, and let's dive into his vision for company success. Sam, thanks for being here today, man. Jackson, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So beyond beyond my uh, <clears throat> my feeble attempts to make sure that people knew who should be listening and, and why they should be listening to you, I'd love for you to just mic drop this a little bit. Um, you know, again, who should be listening in, in, from your perspective and why should they listen to you? So I think the critical aspect for entrepreneurs, founders, product managers in the course of defining a problem statement and then building a solution for that problem is you first have to know yourself. What are your own internal motivations? What drives you? What is your why for trying to solve said problem? And earlier we were, we were talking about um, what's the challenge that let you know, growing organizations have, um, especially when they get to some kind of S curve limit where they get, get to one point and then they've kind of flattened out. Um, and it's, it takes a lot of effort, time and energy to change culture at that point. If you didn't pay attention to it before and culture mm. comes from the word cult, it's the root of the word. And right. it is the way we do things around here, it's in, it's in the water, it's in the air, it's how we operate, it's how we communicate, how we collaborate. It's our definition of normal right now. And I think it's really important to understand that culture is constantly changing, especially in organizations that are growing, that are going Absolutely. through a, a tough patch, um, are trying to restabilize. Um, one, whenever you have team members leave, one, one way of my, one, one kind of shorthand that I've used to describe um, that sense of instability that, that organizations can have is that culture changes one funeral at a time or with every birth. Mm -hmm. And so when you have an org chart or, or a team that um, has a critical person leave, now you have a vacuum and people are, are want to understand what do we do now? before somebody else used to do that job. And now what's, what do we do now? What's, what's the normal now? And what you're experiencing is culture change in that point. And so if you weren't paying attention to the definition of normal or that, or that person's personality defined normal up until now, you're going to have a change. And so an anti-fragile culture, an anti-fragile way of being is one that responds positively to change. And so whenever it is stressed, like for example, our immune system is an example of an anti-fragile structure or an anti-fragile system where it has to be stressed in order for it to get stronger. Another example is stand-up right. comedy. You have to get on stage mm -hmm. and you have to, you know, get booed off before you get better. You have to bomb first. And so that is an example of change happening. Those are examples of change happening in real time or systems that get stronger by being stressed. And so organizational culture is another example of that, 
where if it doesn't get stronger as a result of change, it will just collapse on itself. And for founders, entrepreneurs, or product managers that are trying to build a strong culture, it's important to know what are your own issues? What do you have that you haven't thought about? Um, what are your unprocessed thoughts and feelings and emotions that need to you need to think about? And it's really important to know yourself. And what do you bring to the table in order to address gaps? Because you are not going to be able to do everything. The objective of growing an organization is to be able to find either generalists or specialists who can uh, work on your team to solve problems with you. Um, startups or companies that are larger than a thousand employees, we're talking about team-based organizations that need to collaborate and communicate in order to get anything done. And it's yep. and if you have a whole bunch of people who don't know anything about themselves, don't know anything about the problem statement and are just executing, then you get a bunch of pirates that happen to be on the same ship. Um, <laughs> And that, that can, then you basically get a culture of piracy, which if that's what you're going for, keep doing that. Don't change anything. Right. <laughs> but if you're, but your objective is to have a healthy organization, to have a healthy, healthy sense of collaboration where you're, there's open lines of communication and you're, you're able to collaborate around a specific performance challenge and address that in a healthy way, you will, your culture will change. And you will experience growth because you're trying to, you're trying to solve this problem in a healthy way. Um, and from my experience in, in especially in large organizations, is that there's the, the culture is tends is tends to be just the way we do things around here now. And from a management and a leadership perspective specifically, it's the status quo isn't isn't great. It's not okay. Mm -hmm. This is why we're trying to change it. This is what you're. This is why you're here is to try and change the culture. And so se yeah. selecting for it during the interview process is why culture fit is a thing. Selecting for it during the interview process, but then also putting an expectation on people where I don't want things to stay the same. In 18 months from now, if everything is exactly the same it was the, when we started, we have failed. And yeah. from a startup perspective, a founder perspective, or a large corporate perspective, um, I deeply believe that change management is continuous. You're constantly trying to change. Status quo is death, is where you've just stopped. Um, yep. And it means that you're, you, know, you know less about yourself, you know less about your team, you know less about your customers, you know less about the market because you stopped learning and stopped growing. And this is kind of part of the growth mindset. I think people that are, people that are founders, people that are entrepreneurs or people that are product managers tend to have an entrepreneurial mindset. They're kind of, they're kind of wired that way. Um, but it, convincing and persuading a bunch of other people about your vision or what the problem that you can identify and that you can see and getting a bunch of other people on board to that vision, that takes effort, that takes energy. Um, and what I've noticed sure. over the past, you know, at least three years or so is it can take a lot more effort and energy to convince, you know, a small army of people essentially to be able to get on board with your vision and your idea. Um, and so, that's why I think that, you know, being having a positive energy is important, but being critical about yourself and about the people around you and the problem that you're trying and the problem you're trying to solve is, is, is key to growth. It's key to an anti-fragile culture. It's key. And um, it's key to change management. It's key to product management. It's key to growth. Absolutely. So <clears throat> what would you define as your vision for those that you serve? I am 
trying to make things less worse. Make things less worse. I like yes. that. Okay. Because so I'm I'm I've noticed about myself, and I think there's other people like this who are attracted to what I call wicked problems. So a wicked problem is one in which there is a it's a complicated problem, and they there is the only answer is a complicated solution. There is no simple solution for a complicated problem. And that's mm -hmm. the definition of a wicked problem. Ah. You can't necessarily solve wicked problems. You can make them less worse. So this can be your go-to-market from a sales cycle. It could be from a legal or compliance perspective. It could be tech debt from a technology perspective. These are these these kind of evolved to be the way they were because of culture. We decided this was this was okay or normal for us now at some point some point in time. There, there were trade-offs and decisions that were made. And so yeah. now these we've accumulated kind of um, decisions essentially. And so now we're stuck. Well, now we're not stuck, but we're slower than we were before than we were earlier in our decision making process. And so in order to um, help we, we, we can't solve said problem, but we can make it less worse. And so that changes, that involves change in our own mindset and how we think, how we think of the world um, and what is our own place in it and what problem, what is a specific problem that we think we're trying to solve? Because I think in many cases, what we have are multiple root causes to problems. And we try to, we try to articulate a uh, point solution for one specific root cause and kind of ignore the fact that there might be other root causes involved um, or choose to choose to deprioritize, deprioritize those other root causes. And then we execute on a point solution. I'm, we need to have a more effective go-to-market. So we're going to put a new CRO, a head of sales is going to, is going to get hired and they're going to bring their Rolodex, which is a term that most people haven't even seen a Rolodex in 30 years. <laughs> we're going to bring them on and then they're going to execute on the Rolodex and they're going to solve the problem for us. And then it turns out that your your client success team or your technology team um, or your operations team has other issues that you were unrelated to your stagnating growth or were related to your stagnating growth, but you but you believed that just a new salesperson with a new Rolodex was going to solve that that one solution or be a be a point solution right. for that problem. And that's it involves taking a more holistic kind of look at your organization, your, your team, the product or service that you're offering, the market that you're competing in, what are, I mean, AI is going to be this thing for the next few years when we all kind of grapple with. A lot with. of change. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of change. And so an anti-fragile organization is one that is trying to be positive, but also being critical um, and not feeling bad about being critical. And I say in the way my, my, my shorthand for that is joyful and ruthless. Um, right. So you can be joyful. It should, we should be joyful, but we should also be ruthless. And people, the, the term ruthless tends to have this negative connotation around it. Right. And I think that that's actually not healthy or good um, because the root word of the word ruthless comes from Ruth or Rue, which means to feel bad. So if you are ruthless, you don't feel bad. You should not feel bad about taking into account the tech debt from a, an organization, from an engineering perspective. You should not feel bad about taking into um, contracts from a legal perspective. You should not feel bad about taking into the fact that you know this this person's Rolodex is not the you know the end all be all solution for growth. So you taking into account all the variables shouldn't make you feel bad. It makes you ruthless. 
And mm -hmm. so that being joyful and ruthless at the same time, I think is important to build a, um, a future-proof anti-fragile organization. It's huge. Yeah. Entrepreneurs are struggling tremendously with that. Small business owners even further. There's a difference between the two for those of you who are listening. Um, and it's, yeah, they're your blind spots um, and they're your limiting mindsets in, in many respects. So uh, we're going to dive into that further in just a little bit. But Sam, what's your vision for you, for yourself over the next, you, you feel free to define how long that goes. So my vision is, as I learned this term um, relatively recently about sentinel intelligence. And mm. it is about, it can be an aspect of kind of seeing the writing on the wall or from a wing to kind of adapt that Wayne Gretzky quote, like where the puck is going, skate mm. to there. Um, my vision is about um, trying to identify a bunch of different, where a bunch of, how a bunch of different trends are affecting each other. And because a lot of, there's a, I, I know this about myself that I'm a generalist. And so mm. as a generalist, I rely <clears throat> on specialists, specialists know and are subject matter experts in their very specific niche area. And they may not have the perspective to see how change is affecting other areas. But as a systems thinker, they're related to each other. They have knock-on effects on each other. So, yeah. um, you know, how does technology affect law, affects human capital management, um, affects product management, you know, affects a number of different, affects sales. Um, these, are, these are a bunch of like related areas um, in companies, small or large, um, where you have specific people who have a very niche spe specialized vision. And my own or, or perspective in my vision is we need to connect these. We need to connect these different perspectives that have value, um, maybe don't have what they're lacking as other perspective. Um, and a, and the, a big part about, about it is speaking to people's ego. Um, what is the thing? Why do they feel that they know so much or why do they feel that what's so important? What's the thing that they are still holding on to a little bit um, that's affecting growth? Um, and so that's that's my specific kind of, of view is, is promoting more systems thinking in terms of how we help companies grow and maintain awesome. it for that matter. Okay. Um, this sentinel intelligence, I'm glad that came up as well. Generalists versus specialists, how they work together. This, this gives me a lot of different alleyways that I want to explore. Um, before we dive into any of those aspects of, of um, culture, what would you say your worst leadership experience ever has been? So many. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have, you have to have you have you I don't I don't I would expect that from the guy who said we make things less worse. I would expect that. And <laughs> good for like, you. I feel like you have to have suboptimal experiences in order to get better. Um so yeah. if you don't have crappy ones, I don't know what you were doing. Like you were you had no friction or struggle. Mediocrity. Uh, yeah, That's like you had to, you had to have crappy experiences. So there's there's plenty to select from. Um I would say from my perspective, one of the more crappy ones was when you, when I realized that I was on an island from a management perspective, um, being new to a role, you know, being recruited into a role where you expect that, you know, somebody wants you to be there. They, they've oh. they pulled you in and then you get put into a role where you are a people manager. You have people reporting into you. And then you have this literally like day to night realization that you are not being supported yourself. 
And so now you have people manager, people's people who are relying on you, you are their manager, but then you are, don't have that support yourself. And right. when you, and then you start to realize, oh, maybe the reason I feel this way, maybe I'm having this leadership experience is because that leader is not being supported themselves. And so it ends up being this like multiple layers where you get this like dawning realization, like, oh my Lord, like not only am I not being supported, right? they're, like, not being they're not being supported. So how deep does this lack of support go? Um, and so at that point it was, I, I say it was the worst because it was the, it was like most of your, anybody's worst leadership experience is going to be a character revealing experience you know, mm. where it shows you about yourself. Who are you? It reveals wow. things to you about yourself um, because the objective of leadership is to create and generate more leaders. And if you, and, and this, in this specific case is where I realized that I wasn't being supported. How, if I'm not being supported, how am I going to do my job, which is to create more leadership? How am I going to be able to create this sense of support, belonging, inclusion, you know, uh, you know, confidence essentially to other people to go execute and do their job. If the person who I'm reporting into is unable to give that to me because whoever they're reporting into is unable to give it to them. Like, this is going to, I had to, you know, kind of pull together myself first um, in order wow. to, to be able to uh, execute in, in that particular case. But that was, that was my worst leadership experience. There's, there's a series of books um, <laughs> that are wrapped up in that. That's, that's a really, and I like what you said. You said your worst leadership experience is a character building experience for you. Um, and the sooner we can recognize that, the sooner we can pivot to seeing the opportunity at hand. Um, you know, if we fight against that, we may not learn, we may not learn anything from the experience, um, but being able to do so is, is probably the, the option that we all want. So just ask yourself, if you're in one of those experiences right now, what, how is this building my character? How can I use this uh, to, to build myself and my team up? So good for you. Thank you for that. What's your best leadership experience look like? I mean, I got with almost the inverse of that. It's where um, I was in a, in a culture where there was a strong sense of customer centricity, where there was a culture of literally every Friday afternoon sitting around a conference room and listening to customer calls, listening mm -hmm. to specifically because from a product management perspective, there's this term that gets thrown around, which is pain point. You're trying to address a pain point. Pain is a sensation that causes an emotion. And so it's one thing to like listen to a customer transcript of a call. It's an entirely different experience to listen to the cringe of the, the person on, on both sides of this conversation where neither one is happy about the situation or how they got into it, um, but they're um, but you're listening to the pain, and so the culture of an organizational leadership culture that literally referred to managers as leaders. So your boss was not your boss; they were your leader, and it's a semantic difference between <coughs> saying who's your boss versus saying who's your leader, because it, right. it's an, it's a chasm of difference between what those two words mean, and right. so from a culture that literally referred to managers as leaders. It was, a, it was a culture where they, you had senior people also listening into these calls to hear the pain points and the cringe from customers firsthand, because once you internalize 
that pain point, it's, it's almost impossible to get in front of that, to stop it. Because now I know this pain, I felt this pain, I heard this pain, and we are going to prioritize a solution to address this, all of us together, because I'm going to make you listen to this too. Um, so that, that kind of leadership experience where you felt that the end, the top of this, this org chart tree was the customer, I yeah. think was, was one of my, one of the best leadership experiences that I've had. I'm going to challenge you on ruthless, um, right Please. on this and joyfully on this reality that, um, there's a difference between boss and leader. And I wanted to, I'm excited about what your response is because you also know Mexican Spanish. Um, you know, and, and we both speak Spanish fluently, uh, me to some, some degree. Um, but I've noticed that the word jefe, um, boss, um, has a very different connotation and feel to it for my Colombians, my Peruvians, my Argentinian friends, uh, my people from Mexico. And we as a melting pot here in America. Um, right. We've got all of this language introduction coming in uh, semantics. There's there's people who are so big into semantics battles, et cetera. What am I getting at? Our our need to be able to be ruthless, joyful, not cave and yet still be able to express ourselves while respecting others. That whole thing is spinning faster and faster yeah. every year. What what's going on with that? Um, because I don't I don't think that. Uh, again, and maybe maybe I'm wrong in this. I, I want to hear what your perspective is. My Latinos love the word boss, and I find it strange because I'm trying. I don't want to use that word. Like that's a, that's the f word. It's 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 funny that you say that because there's um a brother in law brother in law of mine here in San Diego uses the word patron. Yes. Um, <laughs> and and I think it's also regional just differences, you know, within Mexico, et cetera, or within Latin America for that reason. Um, but the translation for patron is patron. So they are, you, they're essentially spot your, your boss is sponsoring you to do this thing that they want you to do. So when you're reporting into somebody, um, as they are your, your jefe, your boss, your patron, like they're giving you some leeway. They should be giving you some leeway. They're your sponsor. I'm, I'm giving you some authority. Well, and patron, I was just, I had to look it up real quick. Cause I was like, wait a second for restaurants. That's a customer, right? You know, so it's the opposite, um, right. you know, so, okay, go ahead, hit, hit this. I mean, there's, I think there's lots of, um, there's lots of things, you know, culturally and language, like mixed up into these relationships of where, and I think, I think it ties back to how people view org charts because I view org, I turn org charts upside down and right. I turn into an org tree where mm -hmm. your leader is or your boss or manager is supporting a bunch yeah, of people above on you. Their shoulders. It's on there, right. and and a lot of people who are who aspire to be the boss and want to be the jefe, they 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 tend to uh, stick with the traditional view of an org chart, which has the boss on top. Mm -hmm. And I think if you turn the org chart upside down, um, you it kind of internalizes that oh, you are actually supporting everybody above you. And so if you are not supporting them, then it's going to make their job even harder to do. So what is your job? Your job is to be the support, essentially. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's there's some differences between how the, how the language is used. But it's, I think it's from almost from a visualization perspective of how you look at yourself in the organization itself is that 
if you look at the CEOs, like the root of this tree, and then you get various branches going up, that the top of this tree, the leaves are doing the photosynthesis. And that's what keeps this tree alive. Is Let's play a game. To the customers. Yeah. All right. Game time. Um, so we've got a hundred year old organization that's had an org chart, right? Forever. You got two executives who don't care. Like they like the, they like the org chart the way it is because it's always been that way. Um, and they know that there's that the, the leaders are still supposed to support. They're doing fine as a company because they do have good customer support and success. Then you got two other executives of an equal level that want it shifted to an org tree. When you got two votes on each side, what the heck do you do, Sam? So I think, so I, I'm going to have this, on, you show this earlier on the website, but there's, do you want nice things? Do these, do both of these, these two factions, essentially these two tribes, they want nice things. How badly do they want nice things? Essentially. That's, that's the question you're asking because it goes back to change. How accepting, how accepting are you of change? Um, and I, and I have this quote on the website as well. It's like, there's, there, there's three, I think there's three reasons why we can't, we can't like, we don't like nice things. Oh, I didn't realize that you, you translated. That's interesting. Um, oh, Cynthia lo tienes en español. But there's three reasons you, you, we don't, we can't have nice things, which is basically sunk cost, ego, and motivated reasoning. And so do you, does this team, this is hundred year organization, does it want to grow? How badly does it want to grow? And how much change is it willing to accept in order to grow? Which is the nice thing that, you know, they're saying that they want. And so sunk cost is this fallacy that the way that we've been doing things is the best way that we can do things. Ego is where we have built on top of some cost because of the way we've been doing things is the best way to do things. That's just, it's, 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 it's on me. It's how I operate. I'm the one that doesn't want to change. And those two, those first two things, some cost and ego add up to motivated reason. Now you have a really good reason because of the way you've been doing things it, it, it makes sense to you is why we should not change essentially. Mm -hmm. So the, the, between these two factions, I think the question to ask is how badly do you want to grow? If the answer to the question is just a little bit, then don't change anything because then you'll just grow a little bit. But if the answer to the question is, I want to grow a lot. Okay. Well, then you'll have to change a lot. If, if you're trying to, if you're saying that you want to grow a lot and not change at all, then you're probably not going to achieve nice things. You're not going to have nice things or, or you're going to struggle to try to obtain these nice things. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. That's fair. We'll leave, we'll leave that where it's at because uh, the hypothetical can go down so many different rabbit holes anyway. Um, I want to dive into what powerful lesson <clears throat> can other visionaries learn from your experience? If you had one, if this is your final lesson that you could ever share with people, what would it be? Um, I think it goes back to knowing yourself. Um, study yourself and your own experience and your own learnings um, and understanding those there's this we've people experience this fog of war as they go through their professional careers and the reason for that is because when you're stressed cortisol levels are elevated which inhibits memory retention and so when you're going through this suboptimal experience you're learning stuff um, but you're not remembering what you learn and so i think it's really important to go back and even look at your own resume and look at your earlier experience and 
tried to articulate what what did you actually learn from that experience because it could have been um soft skills and, and actually you're probably more likely to have learned soft skills during that experience than you did hard skills and so the, the lesson i think is to examine your own experience and in the own your own fog of war throughout your career in suboptimal environments that might have been toxic or unhealthy because that's probably where you yourself learned lots of things and you're experiencing knowledge blindness now about what you learned then. And so it takes some unpacking to be able, and this concept of knowledge blindness comes out of mental health and therapy, but I think it's applicable to organizations as well and people in, in companies is as, as they, people have grown their careers um, to examine their own professional experiences to better articulate what was the thing that they actually learned from their own experience. In, wow. in, or, in order to be able to, you know, help other people develop those skills without it being without it being toxic or healthy or suboptimal. You want these people to learn these skills without having to struggle like you did. That was awesome. I'm going to have to, it's probably the first powerful lesson version where I'm going to have to go back and listen again because it was so intellectually deep. But at the same time, there's a, you, you talked about the stress inhibiting memory retention yeah. and <clears throat> you know, running, running first class business and trying to run vision pros live and all things that we're doing, I've noticed a tremendous dip in my memory. Um, almost to a scary degree where I was like, wow, like this, my, has like, been, this has been accelerated as a result of the pandemic, by the way, yep. is that everybody is sense. actually low key stressed. <laughs> because, yeah. So this is why three years kind of feels like it flew by because everybody's mm -hmm. just been low key stressed. And so mm -hmm. that's why you don't remember what happened last week or last month or last year, or it feels like it just flew by. That's also a secondary reason. It's really, it's, it's helpful too. It's that, uh, again, I think it goes back to your concepts of, of joyfulness and ruthlessness, the ability and willingness to accept the good. Um, this is my definition of, but accepting the good in my life while also recognizing the symptoms for an opportunity to change, um, you know, and, and improve where I'm headed. Um, <clears throat> You talked about, um, again, this, this concept of, of wicked problems, making things less worse. Um, you know, and I know people can hear that and just, you know, sound the alarm on negativity, like what a negative guy, um, you know, and I look at that and I, I mean, I look at the reality of the world, 96% of businesses fail within 10 years. And that does not mean that 4% succeed. That means that 4% survive. Um, and out of that 4%, the, businesses that we would consider successful, like you said, we have to look at the variables. You know, do they have a balanced life? Um, do they have time with their family? Uh, are they out of debt? Um, do they have a six months cash reserve? Um, you know, even do they, do they have all their basic first world needs met? Um, well, I'm going to coin that for what it is. Maslow's um, hierarchy of needs. But I, I think from a negativity perspective is if you're a business, you're producing a product or a service that is solving a problem or a challenge. It's addressing a need. If you were producing a product or a service that didn't solve any pain point or, or fix any need, then why are they buying your product? Like there is some existing thing that's creating demand for you. And so if you, if you're, if you're saying that that existing demand itself is negative, okay, sure but you, you're essentially trying to make money off that existing need or challenge. And so that's, that's the point of a bit, a point of the, of, this is a Peter Drucker quote, or maybe it's a Warren Buffett quote, like 
the the objective of a business is to create a customer and it's marketing and uh, it's a Peter Drucker quote. It's like marketing and innovation. Your, your mm -hmm. product or service is innovating something to solve a problem. If there was no problem, then you wouldn't need to market or innovate anything. And so yeah. accepting that there is something that's suboptimal out there and that, and that's why you are the one to solve it. Um, I don't think that's negative. I think that's just the state yeah. of how businesses work. Right. Absolutely. Well, and it's, it's like, it's, there's just a lot of challenges out there, um, that have, that have a lot of great needs. Um, you yeah. know, a lot of people who have a lot of great needs and it's easy to, to try to put blinders on and, and, and lose sight of it rather than realize that it's there. I'm glad you quoted Peter Drucker. Nobody's ever done that on the show. Um, and I think his book effective executive is one of the most overlooked books of all time for business. So well done. Um, let's, <clears throat> Let's take some time to let's take the next few minutes to talk about creating the anti-fragile organizational cultures. What does that take, Sam? If you could just fire hose us for a little bit. What what are some of the high level aspects we should be looking at or dive deep? You know, your your call. I'm kind of boxing you in the best I can. So I think there's there's this um, negative connotation around the word audit, um, but I think from yeah. a leadership perspective it's important to self-examine essentially like take stock of where you are today there's a book my wife gifted me recently where the title is basically what got you here won't get you there um, and i think that applies to lots of companies applies to startups applies to product managers the entire product management function frankly that what got product management here won't get us there um especially given the last 10 years of you weren't sleeping on the couch the night she gave you that book. Um, what were you? <laughs> no, <I was laughs> not, no. But, but I, but I, um, I do think the concept is really important of, of taking stock and self auditing, understanding like what got you here won't get you there from a professional perspective. Um, people who have maybe five, 10 years, 15 years of experience, you know, have enough knowledge under their belt. They, they are relative experts in what they know how to do. And so, but really deep diving understanding of what made you the way you are, how did you get to here and what are you going to need to change about yourself or your business or your culture in order to keep going further? You need to understand who you are, which is the phrase, know thyself, know yourself first. You're going to have to know yourself first. If you have any, if you have any hope of growing. I believe that's the effective executive's first chapter as well as know thyself. <laughs> so while well, well said, way to, way to follow excellent leaders on that. Um, I, I hope that more, more visionaries do just that, um, you know, and, and that we learn to, to see these opportunities audits, um, you know, for instance, uh, so, but I love that you also start that with a self-examination factor. You said that three times throughout the show. Um, so I think that's something that, that all of us can, can look and say, okay, what are we auditing about ourselves? then turning to the opportunity to, to audit and optimize the rest of the culture and organization. Um, and, and hopefully we have the diplomacy skills um, and to pull that off um, when we go there as well. Sam, this was an absolute pleasure. Uh, we will have a landing page put together with links to connect with Sam Vision Pros. That way you can afterwards. If you have any questions or comments um, and you don't have the ability to go over there, just drop it on the social media channel you're tuning in from and we'll make sure to forward those. Um, in addition, if you would like to be on the show, make sure to reach out. Uh, VisionProsLive.com has a link to be able to apply as a guest for the show. Uh, Sam, I'd love to have you back in the future. This was awesome. Do you have any final, uh, give any, anything else you want to give to us before we go on our way? Uh, know yourself, 
you know, be joyful, ruthless, and that is the key to building an anti-fragile system. Awesome, man. I appreciate you. Vision Pros, have a fantastic week. We will see you on the next show. Thank you for being here today. I'm really happy that you tuned in to Vision Pros Live. I'm looking forward to seeing your reactions as these episodes continue to move forward. This is going to get more and more fun. We'll have more and more engagement as well. We'll invite people to participate in the show.